Well, hey, next Sunday is the start of Advent. Crazy, right? Chris, Christmas is coming, and uh, next Sunday we will be starting a new series that's called The Paradoxes of Christmas. And so we're going to look at the paradoxes that we find in Jesus Christ, apparent contradictions that we see in Jesus and in his coming into our world. And we're going to look at that. And my hope and prayer for that series is that you will be more in awe and more in love with Jesus as you see him for who he really is. Right? That you'll just delight in him and, and worship him and be in awe of him, especially as we go into this Christmas season, as we look at Jesus and the, and the, the paradoxes that we see in his life. So that's next week. But today, we are finishing up our series that we've been looking at here for the last six weeks called The Heart of Jesus. The Heart of Jesus. And so, uh, in this series, we've been looking at a passage. It's been the foundational passage that we've looked at. And so we're not going to land there, but I just want to remind you again, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this. And it's, in, it's an invitation he's even making to us this morning. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are tired and, and overwhelmed, all who are, are burnt out, all who are exhausted. He says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he says this. He reveals, it's the only place we see this in the Bible. Jesus reveals his heart. For I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, Jesus says. My burden is light. And so the invitation through the series, the invitation this morning again is come to Jesus. And know his humble and gentle heart for you. Sinners, come to Jesus and find his yoke to be easy and his burden to be light. And so we've been looking at, uh, looking at that, and especially the heart of Jesus through this series, trying to, to know his heart. Right? I want to know the heart of Jesus more. But then also, as we come to know his heart, this is what's so amazing, is he transforms us. And he gives us his heart so then we can show his heart of humility and gentleness to the world around us. And so to know and show the heart of Jesus, that's what we've been looking at. And, and, and so I see that happening in us. I mean, our world so desperately needs to know his heart. And so do we. So this morning, though, we're going to finish up this series with a question. And here's what the question is. Maybe the most important question you could ask anyone uh, is this. Are you living for the heart of Jesus or are you living from the heart of Jesus? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. Now, to be clear, what I mean by this is, are you living for the acceptance and the love of God? Are you living in your life striving for and working for the love and acceptance of the Father? Or are you living from that? Like you know the love and acceptance of, of the Father through Jesus, and now you're living your life in response to His love, His acceptance, His favor, His kindness, His goodness toward, toward you. So, so which way are you living your life? And so we're going to answer that this morning. I'm going to invite you to consider this because, you know, the temptation is for us, even if you are living from 
the heart of Jesus is to get, get distracted, to lose sight, to be deceived, and to start living for it instead of from his heart. So, to answer this question and to help, help us see which way we're living today, open your Bible to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 11 to 21. And as you're turning there, the, the book of Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. It's made up of Gentile believers. You've got Jews, the chosen people. God chose Israel, the nation, to bless the world through them. Everybody outside of Jewish nation, Israel, are Gentiles. They're outsiders. They're, and so... Gentiles came to know Jesus too. I mean, anyone can know Jesus, right? And, and so they come to know Jesus and, and they trust him and, and they believe in the good news of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and they're trusting in that by faith. But then a group of people come along. They're false teachers. They're called Judaizers. These are Jewish Christians who say, yes, Jesus, you know, Jesus, we believe in Jesus, but you also need Jesus to be accepted by God. Not only do you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to do something else. You need to believe in, or you need to obey the laws. And you need to do specific things because it's Jesus plus those things that makes you acceptable to God. And so they come into this and, they, and they're leading people to believe that. And, and that it's not just by Grace alone through faith alone in Jesus, but it's plus these works. And so Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia to correct their wrong thinking and to help them understand what's really true. And so as we start here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21, listen to this. And if you would even stand as we read God's word, we stand out of respect for his word and just hear the word of God. But when Cephas, and Cephas means Peter, so think Peter the Apostle. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul says, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's the issue. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in order, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
And this is a meat and potato message, right? I mean, if you want a meal, if you want to be fed, you came to the right place because we're going we're gonna to be fed. I mean, you might get stuffed in turkey on Thursday, but you're going to get filled up with the Word of God on Sunday, all right? And so let's look at Galatians 2 here. And in this passage, there are three principles that we must know in order to live from the heart of Jesus, not for the heart of Jesus. You understand the difference? It's important, okay? First of all, recognize anyone, including Christians, can be deceived and try to live for the love and acceptance of God instead of living from it. Any of us can be deceived and start doing that. In verses 11 to 14 in this text, the Apostle Paul is describing a conflict that was going on between himself and the Apostle Peter. Right? These are two spiritual heavyweights, right? The Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Peter. I mean, they're two main players in the book of Acts. Like these, the, these people God used to build the church. I mean, we're here today because of them. But, but in this, we see that there was a conflict between the two of them. See, Paul knew Peter believed that the Gentiles, these believers that are, that are Gentiles, are part of the family of God because they trusted in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for their sins by faith in that. And the grace of Jesus saves them, that they're part of the family. And, and, and Paul knew that Peter knew that and Peter preached that. And that's the only way to be accepted by God. Whether you're a Jew whether you're a Gentile, there's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But one day, Peter's eating with some Gentile believers. They're having a meal together, and, and some of these Judaizers, they're, they're Jewish Christians that believe, yeah, not only do you have to trust in Jesus, but you also have to obey the law to be accepted by God. And so they, these Judaizers come in to the room, and here's Peter eating with the Gentile believers. And, and all of a sudden, Peter's like, whoa, whoa, I'm a, he gets, he, fear of man, it says. Out of fear of man, he's like, wait a second. And he, and he gets up, and he leaves the table, and he no longer eats with them. And that action, that behavior then, causes other people to be led astray and to think, well, wait a sec, maybe it's not just by grace through faith alone in Jesus, but maybe it's also you have to observe these kosher dietary restrictions and you can't eat certain things and you have to abstain from certain things. And maybe that's also what makes you acceptable to God. And so by his actions... He's communicating that it's not just by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus. He's communicating that it's also by obeying the law that makes you acceptable to God. And so Paul confronts Peter and he says here in this passage, verse 14, he says, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he confronts him. He confronts them because this is a big deal. Now, Peter, an apostle, the rock, he's, he's called Rocky, Jesus called him. Like, like, man, God used Peter and God uses Paul, but, but even Peter can be deceived to think that it's not just living from the love of Christ, 
but it's li- he's trying to live for and, and says, here's some things you have to do in order to be accepted. You know, anyone, including us, can be deceived into thinking that we have to do things or we have to, to, to perform or we have to do certain things in order for God to accept us. And, and, and we try to live for his acceptance instead of living completely from his acceptance and love. Can I give you some examples of how we might do this? Sometimes we can think that, you know, if I read my Bible on a regular basis, you know, I prayed, I spent time with the Lord. Man, I went to church. I, I gave my offering. Look at me. I'm serving. I'm doing these things. Sometimes we can start to think, well, because I'm doing those things, God loves me more. Because I'm faithfully reading my Bible. Because I'm serving and they're not. God loves me more. Or those that don't do those things, God loves less. That's the kind of thinking that's like, okay, then I'm trying to live for the acceptance of God, for the heart of Jesus, instead of living from it. Here's another example. Anytime we believe that certain sins are too great for God to forgive. We are living for the love of Christ, not from the love of Christ. Because we think that if I did that, man, that's too, God just can't forgive that. Or, 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 or if I, you know, if I did that, God can't accept me. And so that somehow based on, well, man, well, I did this or I didn't do this, God can't accept me. And that's living for the love of Christ, not living from the love of Christ. How about this? Anytime we tell others or we believe ourselves that there are things that you can do to be a, a, a better Christian, right? Like, like if you do this, if you, if you do these five things, then you're going to be a better Christian. Or if, if you do these three steps, then, then God's going to love you. And it's like, we, we love to do this, right? As human beings, it's in our nature, our flesh, our fallen nature, and it's in the world around us to say, man, let's just make this thing simple and just tell me, like, do these three things, and that makes me a good Christian, Right, we do this, right? Man, you're looking at me like, man, you got to. Only you do this. I know we do this, right? We, we, because here's the thing: it's a relationship with Jesus. That, that Christianity is about following Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. And a relationship is not simplified into three steps or five steps. But we like to just quantify and simplify and say, well, if you do this and don't do this, that means we're good to go. But when we do that, that's living for the acceptance of God, not living from the acceptance of God in Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more example. Anytime we look down on others and judge others and their relationship with God and their spiritual condition because of certain behaviors or certain things that they do or don't do, that we think, well, they should do this, like a good Christian would do this or a good Christian wouldn't do that. Anytime we judge them and and, and judge their spiritual condition, their standing before God, we are guilty of living for the heart of Jesus, not from the heart of Jesus. This presidential season, I encountered Christians who judged other people based on who they voted for. This presidential season in the church... I encountered Christians 
People that believe in Jesus saying, well, if you vote for him, or if you vote for him, then you either are a Christian or you're not a Christian. Because a Christian wouldn't vote for him. A Christian wouldn't vote for him. And it's like, wait a sec, are, you, are we saying that somehow who we vote for determines our spiritual condition before God and whether God accepts us or not? Is that what we're saying? Because I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says, you know, who you vote for in the election determines whether you go to heaven or not. Like, if you, if you see it, you show me. Now, there's wisdom, right? We need to have wisdom. But, but I just want us to see, like, or let's use another, I mean, I know I'm getting personal today, but... but did you know that sometimes people are saying that if you wear a mask, you don't have faith? Right? Because, you know, you're controlled by fear if you're wearing a mask. I'm like, really? So, so if I wear a mask, I'm controlled by fear. But if I don't wear a mask, I have more faith? I mean, sometimes people are going there and saying this. You're like, oh, I don't know. What are you coming up? I'm, I hear these things, right? I mean, we're part of it. And so, so that when we do those things, that's living for the heart of Jesus. That's living for the acceptance of God, not living from it. You understand what I'm saying? Are you still here? Listen to me. Even the apostle Peter was guilty of this. Anyone... Anyone, even Christians, can be deceived and think that we're living for the heart of Jesus and we have to earn his acceptance. And by doing things or not doing things, we're right with him as opposed to living from it and being free in Christ. Recognize that. Admit it. If, if the Lord is even telling you this morning, listen, hey, maybe you've been doing that. I mean, listen to the Spirit of God. Confess that to the Lord. Find freedom, forgiveness in Him. Here's the second thing I want us to see, right? Three principles to help us make sure we're not living for the heart of Jesus, but we're living from the heart of Jesus, right? Second one is this. Remind one another of the only way God accepts us. We need to remind each other of this. We need to remind each other again and again so we don't fall into thinking somehow I got to work for it and I got to earn this and I got to merit this. We got to remind, I mean, listen, our flesh, it's hardwired into our flesh to think we have to work for it to get it. It's hardwired into our world to think we have to work for it to get it. And so every day we are faced with, with the message that says you have to work for it to get it. And the Bible says, no, you don't have to work for it. It's already been done for you. Let me show you, right? Look at verse 15. Paul says to Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Let's stop there. Paul's not saying that the Jews were not sinners, but the Gentiles were these terrible sinners. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that he and Peter were Jewish by birth, and so they grew up with these kosher dietary laws that were part of the law that said you can eat these things, but you can't eat these things because these things are unclean and these things are clean. And so they grew up in that. And that's what they observed, and that's what they followed. But the Gentiles didn't grow up in that, and so they were these Gentile, let's use air quotes, put your, put your fingers up, sinners. 
Because they were eating the very things that, that they weren't supposed to be eating according to the kosher law, dietary law. And that's what he's saying when he's saying they're sinners, right? Air quotes. We, he's saying, are kosher Jews by birth. But, but, the, but not those Gentile sinners because they're eating the foods that you're not supposed to be eating. We're, we, we get that. I mean, let's put it into our terms, right? We, maybe, are Republicans by birth and not those Democratic sinners. Or we are Democrats by birth and not those Republican sinners. That's the idea, right? We are those we-don't-wear-mask kind of people and not those fearful mask-wearing people like them. That's, what, that's how he's using this, right? Okay, I think you understand, right? So he's, he's laying the, the playing field. And then he says, but there's something we know. Even though we followed the kosher laws and they don't, here's what we know about how you're accepted by God. First of all, there's three of them. Verse 16. We know, Paul reminds Peter, that a man or woman is not justified by observing the law or works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified. Big word. Say justified. All right. It's a legal term. It's used by a judge when he finds a person not guilty and declares them innocent. So you're not guilty of that crime, but in fact you are innocent. That means you have nothing against you. you and, and here it means you are righteous, right? Not only are you not guilty, but justified means you are righteous. And so Paul is reminding Peter, hey, we both know that the only one, way anyone is declared not guilty and righteous in the eyes of God is through faith in the work of Jesus Christ and there is no other way. That's it. That's what he's saying. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a kosher diet person or whether you're not a kosher diet person, whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, whether you wear masks, whether you don't wear masks. There's only one way to be accepted by God and that's through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. We know this, right? That's what he's saying. We know this. Secondly, verse 16, we know we've believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus. So he, he's talking not just about what we know intellectually, but now he's getting personal. This week I had a chance to talk with somebody. She came into my office and, and we were talking about how do you follow Jesus? Like how do you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? I said, well, you have to know who Jesus is. Right? You have to know Jesus came into the world out of love for us because we are sinners and we need a Savior. And so God sent Jesus and he came and he died for our sins in our place. And then he was buried and rose again on the third day. And if, and if you trust in him, then you'll be forgiven and you'll have new life. Now, here's the thing. You can know that in your head, but that's still not faith. If you know that in your head and that's all you know, you are not saved. Because then I said, here's what else. And I used this chair as an example, the chair I was sitting in. I said, see this chair, right? Um, this chair, man, I could study how it was made. And I could study like the, the mechanics and how this chair was put together and how it will support the weight of a person who sits in that chair. And I can know that and I can believe intellectually that that's true. Right? 
Like the chairs you're sitting in. You can study them until you're blue in the face and know all about them. But here's the thing. Here's what has to happen, right? You have to, at some point, if you really believe that chair is going to support your weight, what do you have to do? You have to actually sit down in it. The fact that you're sitting here and at home in your chair means that you have faith in what you're in to support you. He's saying here, we didn't just know that Jesus is the only way to be saved. We put our full weight in Jesus and have been trusting in him alone. Have you done that? Are you doing that? He's he's, he's reminding them of what we know. We know this. We know it intellectually. We know it personally, right? And then he goes on in this third point. He says this. He says in verse 16 at the end, we know then that by works of the law, by following rules, by doing certain things that you will not be justified because of these other two things that are true. Like we're not accepted by God by anything we do or don't do. We are only accepted by God through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Listen, we we can get confused about this. We can forget this just in a week. You can leave today and forget this through the week. Because here, I mean, let me just tell you again. Every... Thing around us, my flesh, our world, the enemy, Satan, tempts us and tells us that no, no, your worth, your value, your identity, your acceptance comes from what you do and how you perform and how well you're doing in that. We are bombarded with that message. And so it's so easy for us then to let that slip into what we think about how you're accepted by God and what that is. And so it's not, not at all out of the question to think, you know what, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but then start thinking, yeah, but also you got to do this. And if you don't do this, so, ah, you're just not as good or you're not, and, you know, it's like, well, no. Listen, I, I can tell you firsthand, right? So I, I was, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Some of you have heard my uh, testimony before, but uh, my parents taught me about Jesus. My family went to church. We believed in Jesus. Uh, I became a Christian on a Sunday night when I was seven years old. You know, I was seven. We we went to church. They used to go to church on Sunday nights. I know that's years ago, like dinosaur era. But um, so we went to church on a Sunday night and the preacher was up front. He was talking about how the only way you can be accepted by God is through faith in Jesus and that we're all sinners and deserve hell. We deserve condemnation because of our guilt. And unless we trust in Jesus, we won't be saved. The Spirit of God just moved into my heart at that moment. And just, I was a little kid, seven years old. I was in the end of the aisle. I can still see the room right now. God just kind of had me get up out of my seat. I walked down to the front. So I was like coming to the front of that. And I'm like, man, I'm a sinner and I need the grace of Jesus. He's like, all right, let's do this. And so, you know, in the church I was part of, they, they had a baptistry. Like, like if we opened that, there's water back there. And then you actually go back in there and you baptize them right away. Because that's what the Bible says. And so, we, so, so I got baptized that night. And, and I became a new Christian. I, I, I mean, I was born again. It was amazing. I remember going home. I was so excited. And I just was calling people. And my grandma, I'm like, guess what I did? I'm a Christian now. I mean, my life is different now. I'm a new person. I mean, I'm a seven-year-old kid, right? And, um, 
And then I started to live the Christian life. And, 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 as, and as I lived it, I was like, you know, I want to I obey God. And I want to, because I wanted to live from the heart of Jesus. And so I was trying to do that. But over time, and I don't know when or how it happened, I started to think like, wow, man, I'm doing my devotions every morning. That's pretty sweet. Man, I'm a pretty good high school student. I'm getting good grades and not really getting drunk and partying like everybody else. Like, I'm pretty good. And I started to kind of have this spiritual pride, thinking that, man, I'm good. And, and, and I'm not proud of this, but I would start to judge other people, even in the church, that weren't doing it as well as me. That's self-righteousness. And so a number of years later, I mean, this kind of kept growing. This self-righteousness in my heart kept growing. Even into my marriage, there was still residue of it. I remember my wife just talking to me about how, how she just felt like this, that sometimes this, this judgment from me. I mean, not in a, in a direct way, but just felt that. And I'm like, but then the Lord and his mercy and his grace, he, he took me to the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah is like a short book, four chapters. But, but, but in that book is about the self-righteous Jonah who God says, I, want you to, I saved you, I want you to go save these evil Ninevites. And he's like, no way, they don't deserve it. And, he's like, and so he's running the other way. And, and then God says, no, I want you to do it. So he goes there and he's like, huh, I'll sit under this tree and I hope they die. And the book ends with, are you Jonah? That's, that's the question the book ends with. And, and it's like, whoa, man, I saw the self-righteousness in my heart. And how I, without even realizing it, started to judge others and, and look down on others because I thought, man, I got some kind of, you know, self-righteous thing going and look at me, I'm so good spiritually and, and forgot that it's all by grace through faith in Jesus. And the Lord just broke my heart. And I tell people I was saved from my sins when I was in, seven years old and I was saved from my self-righteousness when I was in my 30s. It can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone. We need to remind each other of these truths. We need to remind each other of these truths. There's only one way to be saved, to be declared right before God, to be justified, and it's through faith in the grace of Jesus. There's no other way. Now, here's the concern. And this is what leads to some of this kind of behavior of when you're trying to live for instead of from the, the heart of Jesus. It's like, but, but won't... Won't living from the heart of Jesus and from his love and acceptance and, and, and won't living from the grace of God promote sin? I mean, if it's by grace alone through faith, then, then, then won't that just mean people are going to sin like crazy because there's grace to cover that? Have you ever thought that before? 
See, that's what's going on here. That's the question here as we go into verses 17 to 21. And and so here's the third principle that we have to know to to answer that question and to help us not live for the grace and acceptance of Jesus, but from it, right? And it's this. The third principle is living from the heart of Jesus sets you free from sin in order to obey God. You can say amen at that point if you want, but... um, See, the concern of these Judaizers, these Jesus plus Christians, is that God's grace is not enough to keep you from sinning. And so they're like, you know what, yeah, 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 you need to accept the grace of Jesus, but then you also need to give people rules and, 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 and boundaries and tell them, you know, you've got to live within these, and if you don't live within these, then you're not a good Christian, Because we're afraid, honestly, that the power of the gospel is not enough to transform our hearts to make us want to live for Jesus and not sin against him. And so he he has these arguments. I'm just going to go through them quickly, right? I mean, is this a meat and potato kind of message or what? Four points why living for the heart of Jesus sets us free from sin to obey God. And and Paul just lays them out here. Number one, living from the heart and love and acceptance of Jesus does not lead to rule breaking. That's what we see in verse 15. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners... Right. And, and keep in mind here when he says sinners, he's, he's talking about the, the way it's used in this context of of not following the kosher diet of the Jews. Right. The law to eat kosher food. So if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too start to eat food that the law said we're not supposed to eat. Does that mean Christ is a servant of sin? Is it, it, does that mean Jesus is leading us into sin? Right? I mean, that, that's the question. And so then, basically, he says this. He's like, certainly not. No, Christ didn't die so that you'd be free to go sin. Christ died to set you free from sin. That's the first point. Second point is this. Coming up with a system of rules to follow. The law will never make you righteous. All it does is proves that you're a rule breaker. Listen to this. When God gave the law to Moses back on Mount Sinai, the law, I want you to think of the law like a railroad track. Right? So think of the Ten Commandments and think of the Old Testament law as a railroad track. Right? And in this railroad track, this railroad track that God set up as the law is to guide Israel in obeying God. This is what's best for your life. And when you do these things, this is what's going to be the best for your life. And so that's the law is like a railroad track. And, and then the, the engine that pulls the train is God's grace. It's God's spirit. And so in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's only one way to be saved. And it's by grace through faith. That's how they were saved in the Old Testament. That's how they're saved in the New Testament, right? And so you've got the engine, right? I mean, stay with me on this. Think of a train. You've got the engine, which is God's grace, his Holy Spirit. And then you've got the the railroad track, which is the law, the commands that he gives. The coupling, you know, the, the coupling between the engine and the rest of the cars. So the rest of the cars are Israel. They're us, right? Those that, that is faith. 
And so when you put your faith in the grace of Jesus, right, then you're coupled to the Holy Spirit, to the power of God, so that then you can be pulled along this track of obedience and become more like Christ and sanctified. Is that, is that, you, you with me on this? You're like, wow, this is a heavy duty today. Nothing like Thanksgiving, man. All right. Here's what happened. Here's what happened in the Bible. Here's what happens today. The Pharisees, the Jewish people, took that railroad track of God's law, right? And they they stood it up on end, and they leaned it against the entrance to heaven. And they said, no longer is it a track that that we're pulled along by God's grace and it helps us to become more like Christ. Now it becomes a ladder in order for us to get to God and to become accepted by him. They take this railroad and they stand it on end. They lean it against the door of heaven and they say, you have to climb this ladder to get to God. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what we do. In fact, every religion in the world has taken a, these laws and they lean it up and say, you know, whatever you want to put on as the law. And they say, in order for God to accept you, you've got to climb every step of that ladder to be accepted by God. That's work. That's living for the heart of Jesus. Now, here, here's what happened, right? Here, here's what's so amazing. God encountered Paul, who was Saul, on the Damascus Road. And when he encountered him, Paul was a Pharisee. He, Paul was, man, he was like, listen, the way you get to God is you've got to climb this ladder and obey every law. And, and that's how it works. And here came these Christians who were saying, no, no, that's not how you get to God. All you have to do is believe by faith in the grace of Jesus to be accepted. And he's like, man, no way. That is heresy. That is a lie. And he was killing Christians who believe that. And then, guess what? Jesus encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, and, and he opens his eyes, and he took that ladder down, and he laid it on the ground. And he's like, wait, I see it. I see it for the first time. This is not a way to get to God. This is how you live in response to God's grace. And, and then he says here, he's like, look what he says. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed... If I rebuild this ladder back up to God after God already destroyed it and and broke it down, all it proves is that I'm a lawbreaker. All it proves if you're trying to get work your way up to heaven, doing good things and being a good person, all it shows you is that none of us can do that. We're all none of us can perfectly obey the law. Number three, he's making an argument. I want you to follow it. He says, through faith in Jesus Christ, I die to living for the heart of Jesus. I die to try to earn my way in acceptance of God, and I am set free to live from the heart of Jesus. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. How through the law do we die to the law to live to God? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, this is the exchanged life. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the, the news that, you know, the law, all the, what the law does is like it shows us that we can never in our own effort and strength 
get to God in our own. We, we can never be perfect to get up to heaven to obey every rung of the ladder. And we need someone who can do it for us. And so guess who came? Jesus. Jesus came into the world. And he lived the perfect life. Who, there's only one person who's ever climbed the ladder to heaven perfectly, and that's Jesus. But not only that, he said, I also want to give my life for you because you are a lawbreaker and I want to give my life so that your sins will be forgiven and you'll be set free to live the life that I live, to be accepted by God. And so I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer my life now because Jesus is my master and Jesus calls the shots. And Jesus' spirit now dwells in me and in those who trust him. And so guess what his spirit does? Guess what Jesus does? He says, hey, now I want to teach you how to obey me and love me and follow me, not to earn your way to heaven, but to live the life I called you to live. Here's the last point, and we're done, because you're like, man, this is going long. You need to hear this today. You can't have it both ways. That's his last point. You can't have it both ways. I do not nullify, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose at all. If you can get to God through the ladder to heaven, right? If you can get to God by obeying the rules and being a good person, then there was no need for Jesus to die. But if you can't get to heaven that way, then Jesus is the only way, and you must trust in him alone in order to be accepted by God. There are not options A plus B, right? You can't say, well, I want Jesus, but I also want to do it in my own efforts. You see how those are contradictory? You can't have it both ways. So either you believe it's all by grace through faith in Jesus... And that he transforms you so that you now want to live and serve him. And don't just, man, go live to sin and do whatever you want. But you say, man, I I love Jesus. He's given me a new heart. I want to follow and obey him. Not to earn it, but because I'm so thankful and grateful. There's There's a difference. One way is to try to earn the love of the Father. And the other way is living in the freedom that comes from knowing God the Father and being declared sons and daughters of the King. Which way are you living today? Are you living for the heart of Jesus? Are you striving to earn His love and approval and acceptance? Or are you living from the heart of Christ knowing that you are loved? knowing that He forgives your sins, knowing that He has given you a new hope and future, knowing that He has put His Spirit in you, knowing that you are part of His family. How are you living today? May God help us to stop trying to climb the ladder of acceptance and approval. And may God help us as a church as families, as individuals, to know His amazing love for you and for me and to know that He he paid it all, He did it all, and we have to just receive that and surrender to Him and let Him lead our lives. And there is no better way to live. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank You 
Thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. Thank you for your grace that never runs out. And this morning we end where we started this series where you, Jesus, say, come to me all who are weary and burdened and tired and guilty and ashamed to come and find rest and freedom. Our world around us is trying so hard, they don't even know it, to be accepted by you. And we know the answer. May we just fall on your mercy and grace today. May we fall on your mercy and grace. Would you forgive us for our self-righteousness? Would you forgive us for ways that we try to set up ladders for other people to follow even though you never did that for us? And would we be people that know your heart of grace and mercy that then in turn extend grace and mercy so freely and so abundantly to others? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.